Wow. It is so good to give him glory and praise. Doesn't he inhabit the praises of his people? I'd like to talk today about how we can then live in the light of the fact that he's our God and he will reign forever. Hopefully to consummate what we've sung through his word. And to that end, I'd like you to turn to the book of Proverbs. Yes, Proverbs, uh, Proverbs chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at verses uh, 5 and 6. I'm doing that, taking a break from Romans, because looking at the world around us, I thought it would be good to look at two verses that will help us answer the question, how should we then live in light of the fact that he not only will reign forever, but he reigns now? Especially looking at the world around us, verses that help us answer questions like, what do we do if the coronavirus you know, comes to town? How do we prepare for it? Our daughter is a nurse at the Anschutz Medical Center in Aurora, and yesterday she uh, texted us saying they just got what they think is the first case. They'll find out, find out for sure in a day or two, but it looks like it. Health workers were exposed on her floor, though she wasn't there. It wasn't her, her shift uh, without any protective gear. So the question is, what do we do if it's true that indeed we are woefully unprepared as a nation, as some are saying? Others are saying the opposite. How do you deal with that? Or if the stock market continues to plunge and your retirement account, or so you fear, uh, so we may fear, is kind of running dry. And will it ever come back again? Or you have to go to an isolation ward for weeks on end or stay in your home like thousands of Christians in China have to do now and, uh, because of the, the coronavirus. And they're saying, how long, oh Lord? It can seem like eternity. Maybe you're asking the same question today, totally apart from what's happening in the world today. I know some of you are. I've talked with you. Many of you are. How long until I get a job? How long until we can make ends meet? How long until I get well or until someone you love gets well? How long before my, my grown son turns his life around or daughter? Maybe you're looking at a prospective son-in-law and you're thinking, how long is this relationship, her relationship with him, going to last? Lord, don't let it be long. And if it is long, how long, oh Lord, am I going to be able to endure that? Sounds like some of you may have asked that question. It's kind of like the father who was interviewing a prospective son-in-law. And when this father asked him about his future uh, plans, he said, I'm going to study theology. To which the father said, how would you uh, support a wife? He answered, God will provide. Well, where will you live? God will provide. What if there's a medical emergency? God will provide. Well, when his wife asked his father-in-law how uh, the conversation went, he said, well, his plans are a bit iffy, but on the other hand, he thinks I'm God. <laughs> and, some, and some of you may not be laughing because you've got that situation where they think you're God and they need your money, and do they really love me, or are they just doing it because they're buttering me up to get more money, or what? How long, O oh Lord? We'll be looking at two of the most famous verses of, in all the Bible, and rightly so, verses that help us answer that question, one of the hardest questions in the Bible and in real life, and that is, how long, O oh Lord? You know, back in 2000, I underlined these verses and highlighted them because they so deeply impacted me because we were asking that same question way back then 
And uh, by them I wrote this, claimed, I claimed the verse, June 1st, 2000. And I claimed that verse, Julie and I did together, because we were getting a little nervous. I, I knew, we knew that in just one month, on July 1st, 2000, uh, I'd be unemployed with no prospects for work and very little in savings because God had called us elsewhere. And uh, we'd, we'd soon be asking, how long, O Lord? And so I decided to focus on these verses, and we did through many months because they answer that question. How should we live when we're saying, how long, O Lord? And you know what happened to us then? You wouldn't believe it. I'll tell you about it in a bit. <laughs> That's called a hook. So you'll listen to what I have to say now. <laughs> Many of you know what to do under such circumstances, and you've done it, and perhaps you're doing it right now. They help us prepare these verses for any future eventuality. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not... Lean unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Now, some translations read, he will direct your paths. But this is the better one, looking at the original, that he will make your paths straight. Because the idea here is, we're going to see, that he is a way maker. No matter how crooked or hard, no matter what kind of mountain is standing between you and wherever God wants you to be, he will make a way. He's a way maker. The focus here is on his straightening our path, on his blazing, you know, a trail to some destination when you, when, when you can't get there from here. Ever, ask some, ever hear that when you ask directions? Well, you can't get there from here. And you think, well, that's a lot of help. And somehow you feel that way with God. He says, you can't get there from here. Well, Lord, where, how, when, how long? There's a mountain in the way or a desert, and there is no way, there is no way over, humanly speaking, or under or around it, and you've got to get through, and life has come to a standstill, and then what do you do? You trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. What does that mean? Well, the closest parallel to this that I know of in Scripture, there are many, many, many parallels because it's a pattern all through the Bible and all through our lives. But one of them is in Psalm 107 where the psalmist uses the same Hebrew word for the word straight, make your way straight, as Solomon does here in Proverbs 3. And then he explains what he means by it. He tells about some group of people who were lost in the middle of nowhere. They were in a desert. That was what was keeping them from knowing where to go, what to do. And in Psalm 107, 7, it says they wandered in the wilderness in a desert region, going around in circles so it can feel. And they did not find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of all their distresses. He led them by a straight way, same word, to an inhabited city. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness, just as we did today through our worship. That is, he made their way straight because he's a way maker. He delivered them out of their distresses, leading them by a straight way to an inhabited city. And he can make your way straight too, faster than you think he can. There's a promise in our verses for today, and there's a condition. It's one of the greatest promises of the Bible. 
How long, O Lord? Well, first let me show you the forest for the trees before we jump in. We're gonna see that a good part of the answer to what's gotta be one of life's most difficult questions is this, as you'll see at the top of your notes and up there on the screen, strive to be dependent and you're sure, you're all the more sure to be delivered. Maybe not in the way you wanted, but in God's way and in God's time, which looking back, we always see as best, don't we? We see it again and again, and yet we so easily forget. Strive to be dependent. That's the condition, and you're sure to be delivered. That's the promise, because every trial, in good part anyway, in every trial, God's agenda is this, is to make you dependent on him with more of who you are. You see it all through, through scripture. So he'll get more of you, more of your, your, your heart and mind and soul and strength so that you can then get more of him as you turn to him alone and not to lesser things. And if that's his agenda, then in any trial, the longer and harder you strive to be dependent, turning to him alone with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, the sooner you'll be delivered and the sooner you'll receive what that trial is all about, which itself is deliverance, as we'll see. First point one in your notes, our part then is total dependence. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. God says this because he wants all of us, and this is often the only way he can get more of us. When we're forced to trust him with more of our heart. But if your heart is anything like mine, you're probably trusting him with, you know, part of it, but you're also trusting in a few other things too. And on, and on top of that, the heart is very tricky, and so we often are not even aware that we're doing it. We don't know the half of what we're really trusting. You may say you love God when really maybe you love your friends or your family more than him, trusting in them to fill your cup. So he may have to let them really hurt you or betray you or leave you or he may have to force you to go a while without them. You may say that the most important thing in your life is God, but you're going through a stage when really the truth be told that what's really more important is your children and what's happening to them or your grandchildren are maybe more important. All of us go through stages like that all through life because we are idolaters. We are serial idolaters, just like the children in Israel. And it usually happens so slowly that if you're anything like me, you're hardly even aware of it. As slowly but surely, something that's good becomes an idol. All of us put other gods before him, one after another, and when he takes them away, and we say, how long, O Lord, is to make more room for him and to give him more room in our heart. And so the question is, if it's so important, how do you do it? How do you get the cookies on the lowest shelf? How do you do what he says here? Trust in him with all your heart. Well, it's just what they did in the passage that we read uh, at the beginning where he delivered them out of their distresses. He led them by a straight way to go to an inhabited city. He delivered them, it says, if you remember, after they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble, just like the picture on the screens, and the Lord, he delivered them out of their distresses. That's how you trust him. It's the kindergarten 
of trusting him. And it's all over the place in the Bible. Psalm 62, 8, trust in him at all times, O people. And what does it mean to trust in him at all times with all your heart? Next phrase, pour out your heart before him. Which we tend to do only intermittently in a shallow way. And so he has to make us do it for our own good. When something important has been taken from you, you trust in him by giving him your heart as you cry out to him. Like David said again and again, unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Which means pouring out your heart before him. You talk to him. You plead with him. You tell him everything you're thinking and feeling because everything you're thinking and feeling is your heart. And so you, as you talk with him and plead with him and tell him everything, you're giving him your heart. How long, O oh Lord? Well, you might say that asking that question with all your heart before the Lord and soul and mind and strength is itself the solution. And it's all over the Psalms and you'll find it all the way through the life of Christ who is our greatest example for this. Hebrews 5, 7, it says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. He even did it on the cross. In fact, he piggybacked on the Psalms there, just like we can, just like many of you do. He poured out his heart before the Father by quoting from Psalm 22 when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he goes on to talk about how they pierced my hands and my feet. They, they, they split my garments and cast lots for them. That psalm was perfectly made just for him, ready-made on a silver platter so he wouldn't have to make up anything when he couldn't even think. He could lift up his heart through that psalm. And the psalms are perfectly suited for us in that way. And many of you have find, found that out. So we need to give him our hearts. But there's three things we need to give him. The second, according to this verse, is our minds. Because it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. Lean not unto your own understanding. I don't know about you, but when I lean unto my own understanding, when I'm going through it, I become kind of a prophet of doom. And it's like the full weight of an uncertain future, which is the worst case scenario always, comes pressing down on the thin ice of the present, and I go down, I start to sink. I become a prophet of doom rather than a student of redemptive history, trusting in the Lord with all my heart. Eugene Peterson translates this verse, don't try to figure everything out on your own. Don't touch that one with a 10-foot pole or you'll be in a black hole. Our minds can be so independent as though uh, it were all on our shoulders, as though we were God. Now, of course, you've got to, it is our responsibility to think things through what we can and to take precautions and to take responsibility as God leads us. But you know as well as I do that trying to figure it all out as though you were God, as though it's all on your shoulders, will drive you crazy. But so much of our energy goes into pouring over the future, you might say, rather than pouring out our heart before the God of the future and unloading with him. 
Trusting in the Lord with all your heart, leaning not unto your own understanding. And then the third thing, finally, in all your ways, acknowledge him. He goes from our hearts to our minds to our ways. In all your ways, acknowledge him. The Hebrew word for uh, translated acknowledge here comes from the word for knowing, which means, uh, which is what happens through obedience in the Old Testament. It means that if you want to be delivered, then in all your ways you need to acknowledge him by obeying him. The idea is this. Don't expect him to guide you if you're not following his guidance, right? Don't expect to hear what he has to say if you're not doing what he's already said. He can't guide you or me if we're not willing to be led. Here's how one man put it. This one bit of God's will for us, we do know. The immediate duty that lies close at hand, no matter what you're going through, to your children, to your family, to your spouse, to your God. The immediately duty that lies close at hand, we can all figure that one out. God cannot get any further word word through to us until we first listen diligently to the word he is already speaking. Is there something we are hearing? If there is something that we are hearing and not attending to, we have no right to complain that there is something else we are not hearing from God. So we strive to be dependent as we seek to trust him with all our hearts and minds and in all our ways. And of course, there's no perfection in all our ways. We're far from it. But in that posture of obedience as best we can, and of seeking him, pouring out our heart before him, we're sure to be delivered. Which moves us briefly to point two in your notes. If our part is total dependence, then God's part is supernatural deliverance. Notice it doesn't say we will make our path straight. Though, of course, we need to do our part. But in the end, looking back, we won't be talking about what we did, but mostly about what God does. Isn't that how it is? Look how he orchestrated that. Look how he's done that again and again, that he has made our path straight. Many of you can look back and say this too. If you know him, it's happened to you again and again. As I said at the beginning, I underlined these two verses and then highlighted them and wrote by them claimed June 1st, 2000. And I did this because of what was going to happen a month later and I was sweating bullets over it because on July 1st, 2000, we left our church in Estes Park. God had done great things over the years while we were there, but I knew, we knew that God had lifted the call. We didn't know why, we didn't know where, but we knew. Uh, uh, and I, I, I didn't know what to do, but I did know this, that he wanted us to take his hand, as Julie and I did together, and to jump, to jump without a net. And some of you have done that too. It seems crazy to others, but you just know he's calling you to do it. So we let it all go. A regular paycheck, this dream home up in Estes Park with this, you know, 
post-picture, postcard views of Long's Peak and Mount Meeker, which we so enjoyed climbing, and whole herds of elk and deer. We were on a greenway that they'd pass through on our own property and, you know, leaving behind all their little pellet, their little presents. <laughs> and as some of you know, it's not quite as idyllic as, as tourists think it is. And we had such good friends there, and my mom and dad were in Colorado Springs and along with Julie's folks who were right here in Loveland. It was the most terrifying thing we had ever done. I would wake up in cold sweats, wondering how I was going to support my family, whether any church would even want a pastor that didn't have a church. As some of you know, it's far harder to find work if you don't have work because there's something wrong with you if you don't have work. Needless to say, we learned something about trusting, and it came right out of these verses, which we went back to again and again. I'd take long prayer walks every night, walking the dog who loved to eat the the, the elk and deer little presents. (laughs) So at least that problem was solved. As we lived in Loveland for a while, we tried to, as best we could to avoid you know, the black hole of our own understanding. And when we slipped back into it, as we often did, we would try to come to our senses and pray. And we'd, try to, we'd sing hymns together, which is a great thing to do as a couple when you're going through it. Or, just, or go to church every week, to Faith Church, Faith Church, to hear Jim Murphy preaching, which was a godsend for us 20 years ago. I tried to do the immediate duty that was close at hand. I needed to do something to provide. Couldn't find work, and so Julie's folks paid me good wages to paint their house, and far more than I deserved. And at night, I'd look for work on the Internet, and I would say, how long, O Lord? You know, whether we realize it or not, we are always abjectly, radically, down to our very atoms, dependent on him just like David said in Psalm 22 that Christ used on the cross you are he who brought me forth from the womb you made me trust when upon my mother's breasts upon you I was cast from birth you have been my God from my mother's womb but there are sometimes as adults when we feel it more than others it's a frightening thing it can be a terrifying thing but in but in our better moments it can be exhilarating I'm amazed at Christ. To think that Christ's every moment was like this. He clung to nothing but the Father down to his very atoms with, every, with, with all his heart and soul and mind and conscious strength and everything in his life flowed out of that. An unhindered channel of the Father. The ultimate solution to everything, to every problem. The fullness of the Father, which is all that matters. And the same is true for us. And it happens more and more as we strive to be dependent. And as we do, we're sure to be delivered. And looking back over our lives, we see it again and again and again that this promise is true. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, Psalm 34, 19, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. You who have shown me many troubles and misfortunes, Psalm 71.20, will revive me again. 
And so there's another date by this verse in my Bible. It's not July 1st, 2000, but right next to it, it's exactly five months later that I wrote it down, November 1st, 2000. And by it, I wrote this. We've been called the candidate at Grace Church in Roseville, Minnesota, in the Twin Cities, right where most of my family lived. We cried out to the Lord in our trouble, and he delivered us out of all our distresses, and he led us to an inhabited city. Oh, let us give thanks to the Lord, for his loving kindness is everlasting. You know, looking back, I think we can understand better what Martin Luther meant when he said, when he said this, without suffering, the soul becomes languid and lukewarm. Without suffering, the soul becomes languid and lukewarm. It ceases to long for him and does not seek after him. Suffering is a severe mercy on those of us who would surely fall away without it. It says, someone said, the shade of his hand, and I love this, is the shade of his hand outstretched caressingly to draw us to himself. In every trial, his deepest agenda is just that, to make us more dependent. So we'll get, he'll get more of us and we'll get more of him as we lift beseeching hands. Whatever happens, globally or nationally or to you individually, strive to be dependent and you're sure to be delivered because indeed he is a way maker. But even more, far better, you're sure to become richer with the only possession that matters. For whom have I in heaven but you, Psalm 25, 7. And apart from you, I desire nothing on earth. Is that you?